100 episodes. That's a lot. Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today is a very special episode, number 100 of the Take 92 Podcast. I started this show in 2015 as a way to sit down with my friends and chat about music. I thought I would do 10 episodes, see how it goes, and never expected to be sitting down with some of my biggest inspirations in music, absolute legends and pioneers like today's guest, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC. That's right, the king of rock, DMC, is on the show. We met last year at a Comic-Con in Seattle. I shared with him some of my music, told him what his music and his book meant to me, and asked if he would be my guest on the 100th episode of this show. So we've been sitting on this for a little while. The conversation is fantastic. We connected as human beings, as comic book lovers, as MCs, and so much more. But the craziest part of this is after the show, sometimes my guests and I will chat for another 15, 20 minutes if we had a good time. And we started talking about sampling. And I told him about this track I was working on with my friend Webb, the Free Range Human. And he thought those samples were very interesting. He said, send that to me. And we both recorded verses for it and we're going to premiere it at the end of the show. That's right, a brand new song with DMC at the end of the show. So, this is a big one, episode 100. Thank you for your support. This is Daryl McDaniels, King of Rock, DMC. So where are you at? Uh, Eugene, Oregon. Oh, you're in Oregon? Yeah. near Portland? Yeah, I'm about 100 miles south of Portland. When we met in Seattle, I had just gone up for the weekend for the convention. What a con. Yep. Well, I mean, we got music and books and comics and, and a children's book and everything to, to talk about. So uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to dive right in. But thank you so much for coming. You got it. I can't tell you how much that I relate to your story, whether it's as an MC, as a comic collector. You talk about being adopted, which I wasn't, but just as a as a stepchild, a child of divorce, you know, I can connect right. with, with those things as well. Um, exactly, yeah. You know, someone, sure. someone with OCD and depression, you know, it really is great to hear somebody talking about these things and not feeling like you have to be invincible all the time, you know? Yeah, I mean, people shouldn't be ashamed of what they went through. Yeah. My whole thing being one of the greatest rappers ever, whether you believe it or not, but one of my favorite rhymes is if you remove guilt and shame, you remove the pain. Yeah. See, stigma and all the guilt. Why? You're not supposed to do this, or you're supposed to do it. works both ways. You're supposed to do this, but you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed to shut up. Like, no, you talk. Like, for me, what I realized is 37 or eight years in the music business, I've always inspired and motivated people talking about, you know, college and family. Yeah. Chicken and collard greens, you know. Um, son of wife brother of ours. So I was always, I was able to relate to people who saw Run DMC as these gigantic things. But yeah. the thing that separated us was when you saw us or you saw me, you didn't see celebrity. You saw dynamics and stuff like that. But the way we, our music was like everybody, whether he was in the ghetto or whether he was in Beverly Hills, you could relate. But I discovered I'm even more powerful when I talk about the bad things that happened to me as opposed to, you know, St. John's University, Christmas time and Halloween's, that had a major effect. Yeah. But when I talk about, yo, I just got out of rehab, I'm in therapy, I was suicidal, I was alcoholic, I was depressed. Yeah. It's what? It has a bigger effect. So if we're not ashamed, and the bottom line is everybody goes to some, but they hide it because they're worried about what people think about them. Yeah. And I think the cool thing here is that you can still be the devastating mic controller yes, and also right. be a real yes. person with real struggles. And so it's not right. like, because I have these issues now, I'm, I'm not that guy. Right. It's like, no, no, right. you can be a full three-dimensional person. Just like the teacher, doctor, lawyer, school kid, whatever, whatever, those things that happen to you, it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with you. And you know, like, like I said, everybody goes through something, but people don't. You know, our favorite superheroes are flawed characters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All about favorite superheroes. Tony Stark was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? All of us has got some issues going on. Well, you know I, I wanted to ask you about that because I was watching a, an interview with you at New York Comic Con on YouTube with Kevin Smith. And first yes. of all, I I love just watching his face when you start rhyming right there in the interview. He was like <laughs> in heaven. But um, I right, right. I loved how you talked about the superhero adjectives, right? And how that kind of inspired you as a young MC. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Stanley created a monster. I mean, Stanley practically created me because. Um, I was taught through the comic books to find yourself with an adjective and then tell the world how powerful you are. For instance, if I say the amazing, you'll say Spider-Man. Spider -Man. If I say the incredible, you'll say Hulk. If I say the mighty, you'll say Thor. And if I say the invincible, you'll say Iron Man. Yeah. Yo, the coolest thing at a um, Comic-Con New York City about two, three years ago when I said, if I say the amazing, this little kid, and I was like, how many know that? That's my generation. Yeah. I said, if I say mighty, he said, you say mouse. Remember <laughs> Mighty Mouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the 60. Everybody gave this little kid a standing ovation. I guess he, he must have got turned on by his mother and father, the Mighty Mouse. But when he said that, that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Everybody was like, yo, we forgot. But, you know, it's all about defining yourself. So, that allowed me to have the confidence going into hip-hop. Yeah. You know, Daryl McDaniels, the my old man in school kid from Queens, New York, Daryl McDaniels, transforms into DMC, the devastating mic controller. Yeah. So just by applying an adjective to my name, I guess subliminally, psychologically, you know what I'm saying, I started to become that. I was like, if Spider-Man could be amazing... If Thor could be mighty, if Hulk could be invincible, if they can be those, then Daryl McDaniels must be the devastating mic controller. So, yeah. like, even when I said on oh, King of Rock, oh, I'm a king of rock, there is none higher. Sucker MC should call me sire. To burn my kingdom, kingdom. you must use fire. But I won't stop rocking. You could burn down my kingdom. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with me. I still, I won't stop rocking till I retire. And a lot of people said, D, even that was inspirational to us. Because you said, you know, that was me not letting this music industry or people outside of me define my existence. Exactly. So I always tell school kids, these adjectives are very important in your life. <laughs> yeah, and what I find interesting, too, is that I always thought when I was a kid listening to the records, like, you guys are MCing, and he'd be like, I'm DJ Run. I'm like, wait a second. And then I read that you actually started on the tables, too, because yes. there's this great story about you having to sell your comic collection in order to help to your, bro your, your brother. Yeah. yeah. It was at a time in Queens, New York, where everybody wanted to be like Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. And the Grand Wizard did on Cool Herc. So there was a time, there was a time period where everybody started getting turntables and mixes. And if you speak to Grandmaster Cash from the legendary Cold Crush Brothers, or anybody prior to Rapper's Delight, you know, if you speak yeah. to anybody from the Bronx or from Manhattan prior to rap being reported, they'll tell you most people got DJ equipment from the blackout in 77, the New York City blackout. <laughs> really? Overnight, all the Bronx to Manhattan in uptown had turned to brand new turntables because they ran to the stores and looted the stores. For yeah. But I mean, there's some beauty in that story. You know, they didn't run and get liquor and build alcohol. And all these young kids ran to those stores when the lights came out and brought turntables so they could play the beautiful music that was inside of them. So, you know, me and my brother, we grew up in Queens. The thing with us was, if you didn't sell weed, you didn't have no money. Yeah. And I'm saying back then, this is before, I mean, heroin, you had to be like super fly and shaft and, you know, the black exploitation movies on, on the cocaine heroin level. But on just the neighborhood, you know, the, 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 the rich dudes was the guys that sold weed. Yeah. You know, we call it reflip in, in yeah. our generation. So me and my brother, we was like, yo, we got... 
We don't sell weed, but we got some comic books. We had a huge selection of comic books. So much so that I sold all of mine. And you know, big brothers are mean. I sold <laughs> all of mine. And then it's funny, when I put out my comic book, when I started my comic book company four years ago, yeah. I'm going to the comic cons. I get a call from my brother. Yo, can you take some of my books and get Stanley to sign them? <laughs> and I go over his house and he's pulling out all these books and I'm looking at them. Yo, 30 years ago, I thought you sold yours too, but that's that big brother stuff. He was holding out. He sold, he made me sell mine and he kept his. Oh, man. But yeah, um, my whole thing with that was um, everybody wanted to be Grandmaster Flash. It yeah. was like, it, it was DJing first. MC it came late. The MC bug came when Rapper's Delight came out and all of those early hip-hop songs. But in the beginning, it was all about being a DJ in New York. Did you ever DJ any parties or like any of that? Or were you no, just playing? No, I wasn't that far. No. <laughs> okay, okay. No, in my basement alone and nobody could see me. Yeah. It wasn't serious for me. Okay. Hip-hop for me was playing with my G.I. Joe. Yeah. Or playing with my Hot Wheels. It was make-believe. I was pretending to be that. Yeah. You know, it, it was the same hip-hop for me from DJ and even when I started writing rhymes was the same way I would pick up the 10 garbage can top, you know, for the 10 garbage can the South Carolina in America. Yeah. I take my father's real hammer and I'm Thor. Yep. Or I put my blanket around my neck and I'm Superman or Batman running through the house. It wasn't for real. Yeah. But I did it so much that I got good at it. And I didn't even know it was good. It took Run. Yeah. Me and Run went to the same school, but we never hung out. We didn't start hanging out until he discovered I did this DJ thing. Yeah. Because he was already professional by 12 years old. Wow. He was doing shows with Curtis Blow wow. during the summertime because he couldn't tour with Kurt when school was going on. But in the summertime, Run was already performing with Africa Bambada, the Zulu Nation, That's Grandmaster wild. Flash, DJ Hollywood, Crash Crew. Like Run was performing with everybody. And he was going to be a solo artist. I didn't that's why that. if, you, if you listen to Sucker of Seas, that's why he rhymes three times. That was his record alone. Once he put me in a group and I did his like that with him, he was like, D, you got to get on the record so you can prove to Russell that you really can do this MC. But even then, it was just like, okay, I'm going to make a record and go to school. Like, it yeah, wasn't like I'm yeah. going to make a record and have a career out of yeah, I mean, that's kind of been my whole life in a way of I started making music really young, too. It's like, you know, right. eight, eighth grade, ninth grade. It's like, OK, this summer we went to the recording studio. We put a record out. We played a bunch of shows. And then and then you go back to school and like, OK, that's, yeah, it's not like that's weird. Right. It's not you know? like but the beauty is in actually doing it without knowing you're actually doing something. Yeah. If you understand what I'm saying, it's, it's more fun when you... I, fortunately, I was able to do that for a long time until I started listening to the knuckleheads saying, you need to be on the radio, you need to be... You know, once the demands of the music industry comes along, yeah, you tend to see that as the destination instead of just the enjoyment. Yeah, there's nothing like that first period where it's just you and your friends for yeah. the love of it and nobody else even really around, you know? Yeah, and you playing and, you know, you get mad at your friend because they messed up the drumming or whatever, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. We tend to forget those things and bring those difficulties upon ourselves. Now, talking about Sucker MCs, which is the most insane part of this story to me is that that's the first record. You go and do it, it's like that, and Sucker MCs, yeah. that's just the first shit you guys write and record. And yeah. that goes to radio i read i read your book again this weekend just in brushing up for this and so right there's a great story about you're at college and it comes on the radio and you see all the kids dancing yo who is this you know yes. and and even then you're still like nah i couldn't be you know like there was no album covers there was no videos so it's no way for you to know who was on these records you know yeah. and that was the beauty of it you wanted to know what this grandmaster flash looked like yeah what does cool mode look like so for me when they got up and started doing that and um the rap skeller was like the lunchroom at st john's university i look up i'm struggling with trying to figure out what i'm gonna do with my life yeah 
like the funny joke is I'm, I'm trying to think about serious stuff and getting our dancing to my record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure out, I don't like, I don't like, um, um, I don't like a uh, business management. Yeah. I just picked that because my friend picked that. I picked St. John's because my friend picked that. But when I got to St. John's, when I got in college, I realized college is not like high school or elementary. Nobody helps you. Yeah. You're on your own. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm trying to figure out what could I do. At that time, I wasn't thinking I'm really good at this hip hop thing. I'm thinking I can draw. Yeah. So whatever has to do with, I was, I was thinking of uh, graphic, graphic arts, mm-hmm. um, um, architecture, or um, I was going to drop out and just draw the funnies in the local newspaper or something. Yeah. Like the fact, that's what I could do. I could draw. I wasn't thinking I'm really good in the entertainment business. That was so far from me. Are you able to look back now and appreciate how incredible that is that you guys were just doing this thing essentially for fun? It was your first team up and it just becomes this iconic thing. Like how lucky and, and no, just for me, it's still like inconceivable. Yeah. See, it's a little different for run because run saw hip hop grow in his living room. Yeah. Everything hip hop is doing now on the big level is that Run saw his brother Russell doing that in the living room. Russell was managing. Yeah. Russell um, started a label. He had Curtis Blow, Houdini, Jimmy Spicer. So Russell was doing the business. He just wasn't on a million dollar level. You know what I'm saying? So Run's thing was, wow, you know, this could be a career. Yeah. Because every day he'd come downstairs, flash, and sleep on the couch. Curtis Blow is passed out over there. Cool Hurts playing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so wild. He saw that side of it. I'm one of the kids outside of that world. Just pretend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was it was a playtime thing for me. But I was pretending so much. I didn't know about DJing every day and writing rhymes every day. It was preparing me to be able to be on that high level with Run. Absolutely. So that when we dropped that first record, it would be dominant. Yeah. Like, Run is doing it professionally. I'm doing it in the basement. Yeah. But it's actually the same thing. I'm just not in front of nobody. Yeah, you're still putting in the time. Putting in the time. That's what I always tell kids, you know. You're right about the stuff that you learn in school. You probably never use it, you know. Well, I got to learn algebra. You know, you don't see a lot of stuff we saw in the textbooks we don't use. But it's not about what was in the textbooks. It's about showing up on time. Putting your hand up when you want to. It's getting in line with a bit. It creates a discipline. Yeah. So that's what I was trying to look for. I, I didn't know. I'm thinking I'm having fun, but it's actually discipline. I'm waking up every day. The first thing I want to do is go in the basement, write rhymes. Mm-hmm. So that's like but the first thing I'm doing every day. I'm actually going to rehearsal. What yeah. Run was doing for real with Curtis Blow, I was doing it in the play. But since I was doing it like him, when he put me in a group, that's why we gelled so quick. Yeah. It wasn't like he put me in a group and he had to teach me. Yeah, you don't have to catch up because you were already doing it every right. day. I was already there, yeah. which is crazy. Now, you had mentioned kind of the transformation when it evolves from that into a career and more of a business thing and the right. pressure that comes with that. You know, I, I spoke recently on our Top 10 Albums of the Year episode about how I always, as much as it's amazing, I always feel bad a little bit for any young artist whose first album is a smash hit. Because then it becomes this whole thing of like, oh, well, can you deliver again? How fast can yes. you do in, in this this other thing? Can you talk about your experience with that? For me, it was basically easy because one of the things that I never lost was my methods. Yeah. It was easy to create because that's the fun part of it. Yeah. I don't care if it never comes out. I just want to make it. But I think that my joy in making it, and, and collectively for us, our joy in making it, but, you know, like Run is a professional, so once it's made, he's thinking, what can my brother do with this? Yeah, It has to be up to this standard. Jay, he's producing it, so he's like, you know, Run and Jay were worried about the reception of it. You know what I'm saying? It was easy for us to create. Jay, you do what you do. Run, you do what you do. It got to the point where we created this thing for hip-hop to be on that rock and roll level. Yeah. And then we started paying attention to the very thing that we brought it to that level and started worrying about it. Yeah. 
You need to be on the radio. You need to be um, number one. You need to tour in this net. So I'm thinking, I forget that I have everything that necessary to do those things. So then I think, oh, maybe I need a drink now. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm starting to think about unfamiliar things. My thing is, I rode around last night. We're going to the studio, say it. Y'all put it out. Don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't care what y'all do with it. And My part's done. Everything yeah. I put out was a hit. Then it got to the point where we created hip-hop being on the radio. Yeah. You know, hip-hop was just on the radio Friday, Saturday night. Hip-hop was just in theaters. We put that shit in venues. Yeah. Stadiums. Like, we did that. So now... We got to make a record that's going to play on the radio. On that level, yeah. And I'm like, well, I already did that. Yeah. But now we're trying to beat the people that came after us. Yep. That's the pressure that's put on a young individual nowadays in the business. Mm -hmm. You know, we put out a Psych That Circumcise hit. We put out Hard Time GMSJ hit. Those were just singles. We put out the first album. The world thought there's no way a hip-hop album's going to sell. Yeah. We put the first one out and it went sold half a million. That's wild. You know what I'm saying? Then we put the second one out and went double platinum, King of Rock. Yeah. Run DMC went gold, half a million, unheard of. That's like huge. 84 put out Run DMC gold. 85 put out King of Rock double platinum, unheard of. That's Stevie Wonder level stuff. Yeah. Then in 86, changed the world with Aerosmith, get a sneaker endorsement. I don't even play basketball. Yeah. And we go triple platinum. So now that thing became the thing that we looked at. I believe if we never looked at I said that in my book, I believe from an industry standpoint, we should have been like Cream. Cream made, you know, Eric Clapton and the band Cream, they made three albums and looked at each other and said, we can't go anywhere there. Yeah. Clapton went off to be Clapton, Ginger Baker did whatever, whatever. When we went into the fourth album, we trying to beat what we already done and we trying to beat all of the babies we created. Yeah. Public Enemy, EPMD, everybody was born after Run DMC. And they say it. Yeah, totally. Salt and Pepper even say, we was trying to, females, we trying to be Run DMC. But they're getting so much success because what we planted now grew into a forest. Absolutely. So our thing was trying to beat everybody and do what they doing to stay relevant when all we had to do was just keep being Jay Dow and Joe. Yeah, just be yourselves. Well, and talking about those early successes i feel like in a way larry smith is kind of the unsung hero of of run dmc oh, yes. certainly not oh, sure. someone i'm super familiar with other than occasional you know references to him in the rhymes and stuff he's um, the greatest hip-hop producer ever that nobody knows about <laughs> what crazy. was what was your creative process with him would he just present to you finished stuff or did you work in the studio no and- it was all creative from scratch with larry wow we want a song like billy squire's big beat yeah. That's how Rockbox came along. That's awesome. For him being a, in a band, he knew real musicians. Yeah. So he went and got Eddie Martinez, who was playing with Quiet Riot and a bunch of other bands. Like, he got an official rock eye on our thing. So the process with Larry is, we want to make the message and Planet Rock together, because it was separate. It was the message, and then it was vision. Yeah. We said, we want to make a song to put it all together. That's what it's like that was the message and Planet Rock. So he made a faster boom, that boom, that boom, doom, that boom. All right, I'll give you some Planet Rock, you know, dance and happy. We didn't want to make a depress- another depressing ghetto record. Yeah. You know, we need to make a record about Jam Master J. So he did the ticket tick, 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 and he put music to it and instruments and percussion because he was a band. He was a musician. Yeah. I've talked to so many people about that, like, as hip-hop has evolved, and I'm a person who always am trying to push the craft with complex patterns and flows and and things like that but there's just something magical about the energy the collaboration you know i talk about like a lot of hip-hop now has gone away from sampling for legal reasons and has just become a lot of pre-programmed stuff and yet i will point to some of those early records as like look these are drum machines and yet they are played with a human feel a human swing yes, because yes, you want it to feel like a real drummer who could play some funk you know and right to me that's the difference of what really appeals to me of that era is that it has a musicality that was really important yes yeah really important it's not important now 
Yeah. Just a bunch of do whatever you say, whatever you like. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Not um, saying that's an art, not an art in its own self. For sure. But, but that's it's not hip hop. It's not like all this new music. People don't understand the OGs ain't mad at what these guys are doing. Yeah. They're mad at the, what they're not doing as a part of calling itself hip hop. Yeah. Like the Grammys and all that. It should be like when punk rock came out, punk rock didn't get rid of rock. No. So this new trap, whatever it is, it needs its own definition. And uh, I think a couple of years ago, Eric Sermon had said that. He said, it's not about hating them. When we make our beats, there's a musicality, there's a purpose. Yeah. There's lyrics, there's content. You know, we made albums. Yeah. These guys now are just rapping. That's a great point that the punk rock analogy in that this, on a mainstream level anyway, has absorbed the genre, whereas a lot of us are still doing hip-hop. I mean, I don't know what else to call it, yes, but it's underground, right. you know? Right, 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 right. And the industry has made it seem like it's old and don't exist no more. Yeah, but it's everywhere, you know? So we got to fight. I mean, there's more of us than it is in this new stuff. Yeah. Because we got four generations in. This new stuff is a new form, hybrid of hip-hop. Call it its own name and then say it came from hip-hop. yeah. It can also exist. But, but these guys, everybody's rapping, but these guys ain't doing hip hop based, culture based. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's like you don't call a guy who makes beats on a computer a drummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what they're doing. They're, these guys now are being considered, put it like this, unless you're not a DJ. Unless you touch wax, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't care I mean, how big a following you got. You're using the CDRs and you're using your hard drive, or you're using even CD playing DJs who got, you know, what I'm saying Paris Hilton is not a DJ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I make that well, distinction she is in the sense that she's standing in front of people doing. You know, you got your, you got the thing my DJ got. You got the computer thing with a billion songs in it. And yeah. You pro- a real DJ has to touch techniques with needles and vinyl records and know how to do that's hip hop. You know, here's how I describe it. It's not hip hop. It's from hip hop. If a guy is on stage doing his hip hit record rapping with a guy pushing buttons. Yeah. That's a guy on stage rapping, which is from hip hop, his new record. Yeah. Real hip hop is KRS one. Yeah. Rapping with a DJ and throw yet like, it, but see, they allowed the money and the level of success of the business to crush the art, and that's a shame. In, in all anything that is relevant to a nation, culture, or a community of people will get diluted, polluted, and eventually destroyed if it's not defended. Yeah, yeah, and I would make a similar distinction on my own records when I put them out because. If I just get a beat from a dude, most people would then give that guy a producer credit. But like that guy wasn't even around when the song was arranged or written or anything else like that. And so I'm very deliberate when I write produced by Sammy Warmhands and I'll say beats by, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yes, you're right. He's a beat maker, right? And you should be made. He's making beats and is. Producers. Yeah, and I and I don't mean that in a diminishing way, it, like all, like you right. didn't do you know you didn't do at your all. part. Like no, you did your part, and that's excellent. And then I am trying to do this other thing, right? You know, right, right. You produce the song. You produce you. Production is the whole totality of everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why Larry got lost because Rick Rubin was our producer mm-hmm. during the success of uh, Walk This Way. So Larry gets completely lost, but there's no walk this way if there's no rock box and king of rock. Yeah. Well, and let me also ask, because Rick and LL have a songwriting credit on the king of rock record. Yes. How did that come to be? LL wrote Can You Rock It Like This. And he wrote it for you guys? Yes. He was a kid. He was 16. Yeah. And he, Russell signed him. So he was always around. And he was a fan. So what happened with L was he said, Russell, I have this record that I wrote for Run DMC. So Russell came to the studio. Now, see, that's music business stuff. Yeah. And that's different. Like, LL wasn't a ghostwriter. Me and Run could have said, hell no, we write our own rhymes. Yeah. 
but the song fit. We were becoming like superstars. So, you know, L, he's writing from the, the fortune and fame. Yeah, he's writing in the character. Exactly. So we heard, okay, we'll do it. That's rad, man. The same way, what L did for us is what we did for the Beasties with um, Slow and Slow Low. and Low, yeah. Rick Rubin says to us, do you think these three punk rock white Jewish kids could make a hip hop album? So Jay says, why not? Yeah. So they hanging around now. Now they know what they're going to do. They got all of that license to L in them, but they didn't have a starting point. So at one of the sessions, we was like, we're not putting slow and low on the album. And Ad Rock, you're not going to use that? Could we do it? <laughs> and I, I don't think it was more of they needed a Run DMC record to do. They fans. Yeah. Oh, shit, we got to do a Run DMC record over. Like in their head, they, they, this is historic for them. The BCs go to a Run DMC record, oh, which set up, you know, that first studio session was slow and low, led into Paul Revere and all of that other stuff. Well, yeah, and so I know you was, guys had a hand in Paul Revere as well, just in that opening exactly. setup. And exactly. so, right, right, exactly. It wasn't like L needed to write the record for us. If, if L never wrote the record, it never would have been on album. Yeah. One of the things for me, I was always the guy that I'm writing my own stuff because Grandmaster Cash writes his own stuff. Yeah. So even at the King of Rock time, I'm still in my basement. I'm not realizing what I'm doing, but I'm, <laughs> since I'm doing exactly what I did in the bay, Larry would just say, what do you want to make? I want to make Billy Squire. I want to make Planet Rock. I want to make Rockin' in the Pocket, Sharon. Like I was always, me and Run, we, we had this thing called Beat Jams. Yeah. We wanted to make our records like the live tapes of all that, that exists. That's why there was so much energy in our, we wasn't really making records, we were, but we was really doing, you know, over, like the things me and Run did, we could have did in the streets at block parties. Yeah. Now you talk about the Beasties and Raising Hell. The Raising Hell tour famously paired you guys together. And I wonder... With LL? Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey. Yeah, and I, I wonder what was that hey, like... Russell's other group who did it. It's funny. What is that like for you watching these young cats that you are you know you're supporting and 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 watching right. them get their like start mentors. yeah and then seeing them blow up and and come into their own like how amazing is that it's the best thing ever and a beautiful thing about that they came into their own yeah people wanted to compare the beasties is just a white run dmc but then they know they're not yeah they the beasties yeah which was l is l everybody around it epmd zpmd charcoal quest Naughty by nature, all of them said they wanted to be us, but they were themselves. Yeah. So the beauty was, they were themselves. It's like in my kids' book. Mm -hmm. At the end of my kids' book, Daryl's Dream, the bully that was teasing Daryl about doing poetry and rapping on stage said, can you teach me to be like you? And Daryl <laughs> says, no, I'll teach you to rhyme, yeah. but you got to be yourself. So the, the beauty in that, and the other thing it does, this is too, it kept us on our heels, but allowed us to get better and better. Because a lot of times, people that bring people in the game, they fall to the back side and let them take over. Yeah, yeah. Because we put these guys in their position, it, had, it made me and Run and Jay work harder. So at least, look, if we're going to lose in five years, Raising Hell is going to bust everybody's head. <laughs> That's why Raising Hell was so good. Because we had all of this kind of... Larry Smith left us... When we was doing Raising Hell with Rick Rubin, Larry Smith was doing um, Friends, Freaks Come Out at Night, yeah, that album yeah. with Houdini, which is legendary. Five Minutes of Funk. So look, Larry went there and did the same thing he was doing for Run DMC. And none of, even with Houdini, none of the records that he did for Houdini sound alike. Yeah. It was so much diverse. And nowadays, if you say a producer's name, you can identify him by his music. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of these producers nowadays have one sound or one thing that they do. Larry made It's Like That, Suck em, Seas, and Rock Box. Yeah. And he made Five Minutes from Friends and Free Come Out Night. You don't really have hip-hop producers doing that scale of diversity by themselves. They have producing teams and stuff like that. Larry did all this by himself. But the reason why I think it worked for us because we put a lot of our personalities in the record. Yeah. And touching a little bit more on that mentorship aspect, just as, on a personal level, because mm -hmm. I read the story about you kind of getting dissed backstage by Grandmaster Kaz and like, yep. you know, certain interactions where 
as you were finding some success, you were excited to meet some of your heroes and they weren't necessarily excited to meet you. Was it important to you to do that differently and to be available to these younger guys who were coming up? No, I I think it was different for us. You got to understand, they had to be worried because they were the creators of the shit. Yeah. All of us, we second here, so we, we don't have that. Like for us, you have permission to do it. For them, we started doing this, was really good at it, but it's, it's almost a thing like we should have came to them. Yeah. But, you know, they knew who Run was, and that was the shame. That was the, the, the part of it that made them so angry. Melly Mel and Mo D and all those guys, they knew Run was the son of Curtis Blow. Yeah. And Mel and Kaz and all of them said, it wasn't just the records that we was playing. It was the way we was doing it. Like, we had all this attitude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was it was like, y'all didn't put the work in here, Harlem World. And, you know, what Run did, but he didn't. That's why, if you want to know their feelings to us, you got to listen to Step Off by Grandmaster Flash and the Furries Five. Okay, okay. When he sampled the OJ's uh, Money, 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 Mom. It's a record called Step, 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 Step Off. You got to gotta get lost because you know you saw. So if you ever let me make this clear, if you ever think that we're stepping out of here, you ever think you're getting up, down, around, or in, <laughs> you better think again, my friend, because the door is closed and we're in town and the only place you can go is They didn't say our names, but they talked about. Yeah. It's like, who the hell is these motherfuckers from Queens? Yeah. The bad thing about it was the journalist was writing, we created hip hop. That's the yeah. thing that really killed yeah. them. But once Kaz and Mel started seeing all my interviews, that changed. They were just mad at me the first couple of shows because they didn't meet me. Yeah. Then they started seeing the interviews and. Every in your cold crush grandmaster flash crap without them, they the ones that real oh, then it was a whoa. <laughs> then they felt bad. You yeah, know, I mean, Mel said he thought Run was talking about him on Sucker and Seas. Oh man. I love that about that whole era is like everyone is trying to be their own individual thing, have their own personality on there, and like it was like a friendly competition, but everyone seemed But it had to be competitive. Yeah. But it seemed like there was still so much love for everyone out doing their thing and the way you talk about your heroes and your influences even the story about like meeting sarah mclaughlin and how you are trying to think of what to say and and whatever and i was like man that was like me when i met dmc i couldn't sleep the night before because i was like oh what am i gonna say to him you know and so exactly like that's just such a relatable thing to me or 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 when you get a a yes on a feature that means a lot to you you know i was like I was like, dude, that's the feeling I got when you said yes to this show. See, this is the stuff that need to be on social media every day. This is the stuff that reality shows me. When the world saw Red DMC, black, white, Puerto Rican, Jewish, they didn't see celebrity. Now you see these guys, they got their bodyguards, and the VIP. Hip-hop has done... No, no, I, I got... But our bodyguards bigger. You, <laughs> you did say that. On the record. But the LL wrote that. Oh, <laughs> you're right. That song, Can You Rock It? Like you're this. right. <laughs> Run was definitely, I got champagne and all of that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about the whole um, community of hip hop has done excluding the very people that put them there in the first place. Absolutely. It's a little, you know what I'm saying? Now that we're famous doing the business, we put we, we look down on our audience. Yeah. I remember Karis once said, yo, my first responsibilities to people in the crowd. Yeah. And I never forget him say that. Chuck B said, we always got mics in front of us. We doing movies. We doing radio. We get, it's very important not to forget the reason hip hop exists from when it was created. But like I said, it will get forgotten because these guys really think that they're special. Well, you did mention, though, movies, and I, I think it's crazy, and some people might forget, but, like, you guys had movies. You were in Crush Groove and Tougher Than Leather. Like, I used to, yes. rent, I used to rent the VHS at Blockbuster when I was a kid and watch them. Right. Like, how wild is that that you guys were... And I think part of it's probably Rick and Russell going like, all right, how do we, how do we capitalize on this moment? How do wait, we... Wait, wait, no, no, no. We got approached by uh, uh, Michael Schultz who did the movie Car Wash. Okay, okay. Uh, you, you, you know what I'm saying? We came at a time where 
it was it was so right. We were like the nucleus of the next thing. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that, we were so utilizable. We were so perfect for utilization that. But you got to remember, you know, we had Car Wash and Richard Pryor movies. Yeah. And all of these comedy type Hollywood movies before us. Now, we got this whole new culture in there. So Michael Schultz, who had did Car Wash, was like, yo, he called up and said, I want to do a movie with Run DMC and the Fat Boys. Yeah. Like, we were so right because we were innocently everything that already was. And it's the same way now that hip-hop is still innocently everything, but nobody's utilizing the value. I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about the value of bringing people together and communicating. Like, think about it like this. When Karis one did self-destruction, it wasn't his publicist telling him to do that. Yeah. Think about Mac Miller, Juice World, all of these kids ODing. Yeah. You got all these rich dudes in hip hop. Did anybody at the top of the hip hop chain now make music to address the problem in our community? Yeah. No. That's what's crazy to me. So for us, you know, going to the movies, it was like we were so good. Of course we can make a movie. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't we didn't know we was making a movie. Like I say, it was like how was the you know the experience to make a movie? I want to go home. <laughs> it was a long video that I could never leave. <laughs> yeah, the longest music video you know shoot. It's, yeah, it's crazy, but we made records. And then those records allowed us to tour. Then those records allowed us to make movies. And then the records allowed us to get these endorsements. Yeah. Now people coming into the game, they make crappy music, but they still can get all of those things. <laughs> Just to get those things, yeah. Yeah, it's, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So for us, it was a blessing. You know, and it's crazy. I talk to lawyers in the business now that I meet. Yeah. You know, because they're from my generation and they pull me to the side. I ain't going to say no names, but none of these motherfuckers deserve any of the shit that they get. <laughs> and it's not because, and they're not saying it from a personal thing. Yeah. They say they ain't giving nothing to the community that is music. Yeah. So for us, our record showed that whether it was De La Soul, Run DMC, and you know, you know, Church is one of the hardest dudes in the streets, but all his records had value. Yeah, I mean, even Ice T. And talking about that responsibility aspect of it in your book, you're talking about your depression, and yep. there's a period that I, I could really relate to where you start this book and you're talking about like every single day I wanted to die, and I'm thinking about dying, and I'm like. For right. real, I've been there. I know what that's like. And so later, when you're talking about losing Jay and your father back to back, and that really Crazy. like put things in perspective for you, I had a string of losses five or six years ago in my family right. that did the same for me. I guess if we're thinking less about that like internal and more about what we want to put out into the world, you know, we're coming up on 20 years since Jay passed. I mean, yeah. wh what... What would you say to the hip hop community today that is still struggling with this, still battling these same demons? Like my hometown venue, there was a shooting yeah. at a rap show here just last month. It's right. it's never ending. I mean, how do you feel about this 20 years later? The very thing that we created hip hop for so it couldn't happen is the very thing that is the dominant characteristic of it yeah thugs and guns and being negative and fighting and arguing you know what i'm saying the attitude the celebration of negativity yeah like nwa was necessary yeah you know what i'm saying uh two live crew was necessary you know ice t was necessary but don't take the content that they created and not allow parents can't understand to exist too. Yeah, yeah. Because the gangbanger, no matter how hard he is, he will sit there and say, yeah, man, I feel the same way about my mom. <laughs> that yeah. takes away all the negativity right there. So basically what's happening, it's cool to be ignorant. It's cool to be disrespectful. It's cool to be a criminal. No, criminals don't want to be criminals. Yeah, We have all of these alternatives that we made these hip-hop records to give y'all, which made a turn for us. Now we're allowing 
those characteristics to be dominant throughout our presentations. You know, it's, it's almost like none of the people is taking, and they don't have to. I mean, it's not about censorship, freedom of speech, but you got to understand there's nobody in hip hop taking a stand where you have actors that say, I will never take a stereotypical role about a black person. Yeah. Or you have those actors that say, you know, just because I'm from Syria, Hollywood only wants me to play terrorists. Yep. We don't have that in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? We can't tell anybody. Look, put it like this. You can make a record about a strip club, but you also got to make a record for people that don't go to strip clubs. You can make a record about a gun, but then the very next record should be about not using that gun. Yeah. That's not happening in hip hop no more. Yeah. Nobody's telling these kids, don't take Xanax and Percocets. It's true. They celebrate and I pop them up feel like it's cool. So it becomes a way of life. I remember my um, social studies teacher in um, 10th grade, social norms. Yeah. So everything that was once negative on a rap song, like called out negative, described, you know, we never said you was wrong for being a drug dealer or wrong for being in a gang. Now, the industry criteria to even come into hip hop, you got to be this persona. Yeah. You can't have Ice T standing there with Will Smith anymore. Yeah. You can't have DMC talking about college. I'm talking about in mainstream hip hop. Yeah. Put it like this a lot of these artists ain't bold, they think they thugs and they all punks. Because nobody's bold enough to start making a complete album without any person and no guns. <laughs> if yeah. you do that, then you impress me. That's yeah. all I'm saying. No, I, I, I get it. Hip hop has become easy now. And what you're saying about social norms, I got so much shit about this, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when Lil Wayne was like the number one and he's talking about, you know, syrup and lean and all this stuff. And I am talking to my friends going like, yo, this is really bad. This is devaluing. Like this is (laughs) like, yeah, dude's clever, but like this is devaluing the music right now. And it's the number one thing out. And then all of a sudden, what's everyone called now? They're all called Lil something and they're (laughs) And they're all talking about the drug shit. And it's like, he really did usher in this era. And I don't mean to like point blame or anything. I just remember at the time I'm, I'm going guys, red flags all over the place. Like, please. It's funny that you say that. If you go back to the period before run DMC, every record was a message record. Yeah. The message one message two. every record was life in the ghetto struggle, struggle, struggle. Yeah. I come from Queens. I was like, even in the dirt poor ghetto, there's comic books yeah. and lollipops and this and that. So when I came, they see that was my power. I came rapping about those things. Yeah, they're like run, just run, circumcise was by itself. That's why it's three records on it. Mm-hmm. So what did he say? Go uptown, down to the ground, circumcise, sad face. This is five dollar boy. I'm a million dollar man. That old egotistical attitude which dominates today. Yeah. And when he passed the mic to me, I wasn't supposed to be on the record, and he had to force me to be on it. Just say your new rhyme. So my new rhyme was, I just got accepted to St. John's University. Yeah. So when he said, DMC, if you're ready, I could have came like run. Yeah. I got money, this and that, I'm the new dude on the block. But I came out DMC, and the place to be, I go to St. John's University. University. And since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. After 12th grade, I went straight, straight to college. I didn't me over you. I talk about why. I'm light-skinned. I live in Queens, and yep. I love eating chicken and collard greens. That was so harder than anybody that was out. Yeah, yeah, just being so yourself. Right then, it changed. If, you know, De La Soul. We don't have to do, you know, ghetto struggle. Most records, with all the records were struggling. yeah. So I'm like, I'm struggling, but I'm happy. Yeah. So that's what needs to happen right now. Like somebody needs to make a hit hip hop song called No Guns, No Percocet. Make that shit hard over a trap beat. And nobody's that creative. I love that just bringing your own life to it because... You know, when I was listening to you guys and Beastie Boys and Sugar Hill and, and all that early stuff, you know, I was a, a punk rocker. I was starting my punk band yes. and, that, and that's what I was doing, right? And and the more I listened to hip hop and all the different styles out there, the more I realized, like, we're all talking about the same thing. Like, I could yes. actually do this. I could see myself in this music because of these different yep. personalities, not just trying to do a 
a certain thing everyone else is doing. Right, exactly. And it showed me I could do it. So if you have more of this diversity of thought, it allows more people to see themselves in it. See, hip-hop is not growing now. Yeah. It's spreading. It's spreading, <laughs> yeah. but it's not growing. Yeah, you don't have day laws and outcasts. It's because it's not growing. It's not, and it's funny they mentioned the success of it in one of the worst times, content-wise, for it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, hip hop is now number one. It, it has always been that, and the fucking charts. I've been going overseas. I've been to Russia. I've been to Africa since eighty what six. Yeah, it's always been. And they don't even like a lot of the bullshit we like over there, over there. They don't want to hear that bullshit. They want to hear about education and creativity and dance and art and beats and beat. They want to hear about art forms. Yeah. To overcome oppression. That was one of the... Don't give a fuck about how much money you got in your bank. (laughs) Yeah. That was one of the things I loved about Gift of Gab, R.I.P. Are you familiar with Gift of Gab and Black Alicious? Yes. He passed away last year, but... Wow. So many of the good ones. Yeah, he was really one of the best to ever do it. And and when I talked to him about it and, and asked him about his style, it was like, yeah, man, everyone's saying, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something about like, everyone put out a record like, I killed this many people and I actually did it. You know, like like everyone's trying to be the hardest. He's like, and we were like, man, this is about creativity and imagination and and yeah. pushing yourself and and i love that so much when it's almost a risk to do it anymore right and people need to take more risk for sure it's a risk to being real yeah like i said every everything is necessary it's just that people's vision of hip-hop is only what's being played the same 10 songs being played this 20 minutes on the radio yeah yeah. That's a big, that which is, no, the, the, to me, the best gangster rap record ever made was mine playing tricks on you by the Ghetto Boys. I often drift when I drive, having fatal thoughts of suicide, banging, get it over with, and then I worry free, but that's bullshit. At night, I can't sleep. I tossed and turned, Bushwick Bill taking the drugs and the man's not being there. Willie D was paranoid about to shoot up the old ladies in the parking lot of Popeye's fried chicken. That's reality. Yo, we don't need to be doing it. Your mind's playing. You know what I'm saying? Not, yeah, kill to shoot up the car. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Or even Ice-T, like in his metal band, Body Count, he will still bring that that reality consequence oh, sure. level. Like when he's talking about like flashing your your new jewelry and your new car on your instagram or right and he's like we'll yep. come and take it from you like we'll come right yeah, right you don't want he's real he's doing it from the gangster persona but he's teaching you a message like be careful right. <laughs> you know with what right, you right, flaunt right. yeah exactly responsible so that's what made run dmc so great we were badass over everybody without having to be negative yeah I love it. I still think Which that it's some of the greatest music to this day. I mean, it's I love blasting it on tour, getting hyped before a show, and and, and the similarities that, like you said, Tim Armstrong from Rancid. Yeah, I love he Rancid. said, "Yo, y'all guys influenced us. You have no idea." Corn, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah, yeah. All of those guys was, yo, that Red DMC influence, but y'all became fans and did a Beasties, a perfect example. Yep. We were recording and chunking House of Metal. I saw Slayer and Anthrax in the hallway all the time. <laughs> That's so awesome. It was all the same. So what we did with Aerosmith was already happening. It's just that we had the guts to put it on the screen and show the world it exists. Well, it, Not that it could be done, it exists. Like everything that hip hop needs to do now exists, nobody's doing it. Yeah. I respect that so much. And, and again, I want to respect your time. Before we go, I did yeah. w- want to get to, first of all, it made me very happy to see you on the mic again recently with, with Chuck doing Real Talk and then uh, the Public Enemy Number One remix. Got a way better record than that. And I got a song produced by Freddie Fox, a.k.a. Bumpy Knuckles. Wow. He produced the bumpy produced me, Chuck D, speaking of the devil, Ice T. Oh my God. Featuring on the turntables DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh my God. So Bumpy Knuckles produced me, Chuck D, Ice T, 
and DJ Jazzy Jeff. The song is called Me and My Microphone. That's incredible. And everything that we just talked about is those five dynamics. Bumpy Knuckles, Hardcore Underground, Gangstar, you know, the Boom Bat production. Chuck D, you know what I'm saying? Pro-Black, Revolutionary, Ice-T, Gangster Rap OG. Yeah. DMC, the King of Rock, and Jazzy Jeff, not just show on the turntables, playing the turntables like an instrument. Man, that's, that's coming. Me and my microphone. I can't wait. And yeah, I want everyone to know about Daryl Makes Comics. Again, we did meet at Comic-Con. Yeah. From my understanding, this came out of a uh, kind of a pitch meeting with someone from Shady Records, and then you made a Kickstarter? Riggs Morales. Yeah, Riggs Morales, who um, was Eminem's A&R at Shady Records, is now working at Warner Atlantic. Okay. So he works with everybody up there. Action Bronson, where's Khalifa? Like he, he, Eminem still, whatever, whatever. So I went to him to talk about a friend's music act. Yeah. And the friend's music act just got up and left the room. Because <laughs> me and Riggs sat there and talked about comic books for three hours. <laughs> and then he said, D, you should do a comic book because you could do the same thing you've always done with your music inspire, motivate, entertain, but at the same time, educate. Yeah. So four years ago, that's how Daryl Makes Comics came about. And the real quick story is me, Daryl McDaniels, but it's the alternate universe. I don't meet Brian. I don't become a rapper. I graduate St. John's University and I become a teacher. Yeah. And then I discover I have these superpowers. So rightfully so, the same way I use my rock and roll hip hop superpowers to defend evil and make the world a better place in that universe i'm doing the same thing but not as a rapper i'm a superhero that's awesome and how many books do you have out today uh we have three out right now awesome three graphic novels and graphic novel number four will be completed by october's comic con this year awesome man and then the last thing is you just kicked off the year with a new book that we mentioned daryl's dreams is for kids right a children's book so Sammy, for the last 38 years, 37 years, y'all know me from high school. I get to St. John's University. I hook up with Runner J. We walk this way with Aerosmith in our Adidas to tell the world how tricky it is to rock a ride. <laughs> so y'all know Daryl McDaniels from high school till now. Yeah. And you know me through all that music. You know me through the book. Now you know me through the, the 10 Ways book, yeah. a most recent book. But if you remember... My first record, which we opened up this little talk about, was Sucker of Seas. And on that record, I said, since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. Yes. After 12th grade, I went straight to college. And it was in college that Run discovered me, whatever, whatever. But um, 95% of what I do when I'm not on stage or at a Comic-Con, when I'm not performing, yeah. touring, or at a Comic-Con, I go to speak in schools. So I speak at high schools, I speak at middle schools, and then most recently in the last 10 years, I've been speaking at elementary schools. So a bunch of teachers, a bunch of educators convinced me because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> you need to do a book. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. But with the book, you can reach a lot of kids and not have to be everywhere. Yeah. So the book is kind of me figuring out how do I communicate the greatness that's in the kids the same way I utilize that through my records. Or write a children's book and put Daryl, don't create a fictional character. Yeah. Put Daryl McDaniels that the world really already, their mothers, fathers, and I've been around so long, their grandmothers and grandfathers know where I am. Yep. Put Daryl that the world, that put the it's tricky TikTok man, because the kids know my music, they don't know where you see, <laughs> but they know it's tricky because it's in every video game, every movie. You know what I'm saying? It's all over TikTok. Yeah. So put Daryl that their mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters know. Put him, who's a real life entity, in school at kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. So I put the book out this year. It's called Daryl's Dream because every little kid has a dream. And it's basically to tell kids two things. You're okay just the way you are. Yeah. It's like you said, Sammy, we all got anxiety. Yeah. We all got fears. We all get nervous. So I want the kids to see themselves through this kid, Daryl, so they you know it's okay to be who they are. Your freckles are cool. Your red hair is cool. Your glasses. Yep. One of the issues with Daryl in the book is he don't think his glasses is cool. 
But then the same kid that didn't think his glasses was cool made glasses so cool that people that don't even need glasses want to wear glasses now, yep. you know, from the DMC thing. And the other thing is I want the kids to know that they can be anything that they want to be. A lot of kids now, I think the problem with hip-hop too is this. Everybody wants to be the rapper. Yeah. Nobody wants to be the executive that's paying the rapper. Nobody wants to be a program director so they can get into these corporations and change the playlist that's everywhere. Yeah. To take away so much. Now, I don't mind you playing Drake and Young Thug, but why you ain't playing Karis One? Why you ain't playing rap songs that's telling the kids, you must learn? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why you ain't playing rap songs that parents don't understand? Yeah. Why you ain't playing rap songs telling kids? So, I want the kids to know that they can be, you can have a career in hip hop without being a rapper. We need lawyers to make sure we don't get jerked. Yep. We need more managers. We need journalists and personalities to talk about the things people refuse to talk about. You know what I'm saying? So the book is actually just an extension of what I've already been doing with my records and um, my other books. But it's for a younger generation. Put in a term like, you know, Sammy, our world is our music world, our family world, all the relationships, our workplace. For the kids, their world is their homes, their classrooms, their schoolyards, and the streets. Yep. But they have no examples of, because a lot of the things that we have, Sammy, going on with us are with us since we were little. That same anxiety that explodes into addiction later on yeah. hasn't been addressed at a young age. So now conflict, fear, confusion, and understanding, the same way we do that, you know, you do it in your music. You'll yeah. always slip a message in there. You can talk about something happy. You can talk about something sad. I can't make a record that is so shocking to these little kindergarten kids. <laughs> but if I put it into a book, it's just like a record that influenced somebody when I was 16 and they were 16. I love you putting it that way, too, because I was very fortunate when I was little that I saw my absentee father and his addiction and all that stuff. And my wow. parents, you know, my stepdad had already been through recovery. And so he could teach me wow. and my yeah, uncle had does. been through recovery. And so he could teach me what I was seeing and why I might want to not go that way, you know, right. and, and, you can, and you can overcome it if you, yeah. And a lot of people right. don't have that guiding light to show them another way. And so I think that's awesome. Right. You know, Rock and Roll communicated to me through Neil Young and John Lennon and John Fogarty. Yeah. Stuff like that. So that that's a responsibility. The, the way Neil Young went and made Ohio after the shooting at Kent University. Yeah. Like immediately. We putting this out right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's beautiful. And also check out on YouTube. Go to YouTube and check out Ghetto Metal. You rock to the beat of a Larry Smith. I'm not saying no It's basically, if you like rock boxing, King of Rock, you'll love this because I'm using the reason why I made rock rap in the first place is because we sampled Van Halen and Billy Squire and Queen and all that. Yeah. So this record shows why Run DMC made rock boxing, King of Rock. That video is right on your website right now. Go to YouTube, punch in Daryl DMC McDaniel's Ghetto Metal. That's all I know. Perfect, so, perfect. All right, well, thank you. Say, you don't know your side. I know I got a Twitter. <laughs> my, Twitter is, my Twitter is The King DMC. And my, my Instagram is King DMC. Well, thank you so much for being here, man. I want to let you go. Thank you. Again, 100th episode. It means a lot that I've been doing this long enough. I get to speak with people like you. So, You keep making that music, man. Thank you. It's important. Keep making that music. I appreciate that you uh, that you listen to it, man. It really means a lot. Yeah, it's kicking. It's kicking. All right, that is our show. Again, massive thank you to Daryl McDaniels for coming on the show. Probably one of the greatest moments of my life as a fan, as an MC. Uh, this was something really, really special. So thank you. And thank you guys for listening to 100 episodes of this show. If you're new to it, there's a huge back catalog of MCs and punk rockers. I'm going to leave you with a song, I can't believe I'm saying this, from Sammy Warmhands and Webb the Free Range Human. 
The song is featuring DMC and the turntable enabler on the cuts. It's called Spotlight. Give me the fucking spotlight, yo, and keep it steady. Tongue like a Joey Hanzo No Pinocchio, more Picasso Vincent Van Gogh, I'm on the soul When I turn to dust, though, the rest will know Back to the back, cave, got my gear on A long Halloween, do it all the year long Career with songs, dropping knowledge Had to rap, I went straight to comics Coming in like a flying Grayson Tim Drake, Timmy, and a maybe Jason But no red hood, no guns and ammo Dust off the mic when I come for battle Demons head off the League of Shadows Man with no name beneath the saddle Call me Zildjian, I'm just a symbol Somebody tell Gordon to hit the signal Give me the fucking